welcome, welcome to D&D Optimized, the show where each week we take a deep dive into one or two specific character builds for Dungeons and Dragons 5e, and we do our best to crush the numbers and optimize it to give you the greatest numerical advantage for your character's chosen role. So if you, like me, love to play Dungeons and Dragons for a few hours a week and love to spend a few more hours a week fantasizing and dreaming about the characters you would like to be playing in Dungeons and Dragons and theory crafting and and crunching numbers and thinking about what would be the best way to create the most fun, most powerful version of a character that you're working on, um, welcome home. This place is for you, so we're happy to have you. Grab a flagon of your favorite beverage, pull a seat up by the fire, and um, join me for some theory crafting. So, my name's Colby. Thanks for being here. Appreciate having you. Today is the much-anticipated update to my Bladesinger episode. So, for those who have been watching for a little while, um, a couple of months ago, I did an episode on the Bladesinger, um, which has been the class or subclass, I guess, that I've had personally the most fun playing in all of my D&D tenure. Um, perhaps my enthusiasm caught on, or you guys just all know that the Bladesinger is amazing because it's been by far my, my most popular video and podcast download. Um, and so thanks to all of the changes that came about with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything um, a couple of weeks ago and to the, the demand, um, I decided that I better update it and put out a 2.0 version because a lot has changed. And I wanted to share that with you guys. So super excited about this. I know a lot of you have been, ask, have been asking um, for this. So we're going to jump in. You guys, why doesn't anybody get it? Why, why, why is it that before Tasha's, almost every guide that I would read on the Bladesinger or YouTube video that I watched, done by people who are much more popular and probably smarter than me, seemed to say about the Bladesinger, Bladesingers are great, um, but what makes them great is that you're a wizard and that you have access to your wizard spell list and that's what's fantastic. And Bladesinger brings some nice sort of defensive buffs to you, but don't think that you ought to be in there mixing it up in melee with the fighters and barbarians because you shouldn't be. And that always blew me away because I crunched the numbers and and played one in in, in game and, and thought, no, you know, these guys, if you, if you build them right, you use the right spells and things, they can do as much damage as, you know, as a good barbarian or fighter, depending on the level, depending on the enemy armor class. Um, you know, etc. But but they are super competitive and have access to all the wizard spell list and, and all of those things. Um, and now post Tasha's, it seems like people are starting to come around a little bit and go, okay, fine, you can be you can be in melee. You know, good good job, little blade singer. Now you you can you can maybe hang with the big boys. And I'm looking at it and going, no, this is like the best melee damage subclass in all of Dungeons and Dragons, Um, you know, when when you do it right. So, you know, I get it. Um, Yes, wizards have access to the biggest and best spells 
and spell list in the game. Um, you know, but but it's not like going into melee and and fighting is a waste of your action. You know, you wouldn't tell a great weapon master, polearm master, barbarian or fighter or hexblade warlock that they're wasting their action by being in melee and doing crazy damage, right? And and that's what that's what the bladesinger is capable of doing. Um, they just have the added benefit of all of the mobility and versatility and tankiness that comes with, um, you know, being a high armor class wizard that has access to all of the, the amazing spells that they have. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're so much fun. And the damage that you do, if you do it right, it can truly be sustainable. Um, you know, yes, you will have all of those spells, but you don't need to use them. You don't need to burn them every single round uh, in order to keep up on the damage and then find yourself out of spell slots and just have to sit in the back and use Firebolt, right? Um, that's what makes the Blade Singer so amazing is, is the versatility coupled with um, the fantastic damage. So, um, today... We're going to talk about the Bladesinger. We're going to go in level by level. I'm going to have to, I feel like I need to um, give it the same treatment that I do for all my other my other episodes. That is, go in kind of level by level. I, I can't assume that you've watched Bladesinger 1.0. Um, maybe you have, and, and if you have, great. And if you haven't, feel free to go back and watch it, but, but it's kind of unnecessary because I'm, I'm really going to try and pretend like that doesn't exist and just start from scratch. Here's how you build the Bladesinger um, in order to, to, to make it optimized. Um, you know, some of the stuff will be review, but a lot of it is new. A lot of it is new. Um, that said, if you need to watch it on one and a half times speed because you've seen the first one, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be upset with you. Um, so, first of all, let's talk about kind of an overview of what Tasha's has done for the Bladesinger. There's, there's good news and there's bad news, right? So, the bad news first. Bad news is Shadowblade is mostly dead. And I know, it, it hurts. Believe me, it hurts me as much as it hurts you. It's not totally dead. We'll still be using it at times. Um, but yes, having a, basically a lightsaber in Dungeons and Dragons is and was amazing. Um, I love it. Uh, I mourn it a little bit, but, uh, but it is time to move on, um, for the most part. Also, um, big nerf to our early levels. This is bad. So, in case you don't know, thanks to the changes in Tasha's, uh, Cauldron of Everything, Bladesong used to be usable twice per short rest. And that meant that you could pretty much rely on having it for just about every combat encounter. Now it's changed to you can use it a number of times equivalent to your proficiency bonus per long rest. Did I say long rest before I meant short rest? If I did. Anyway, now it's your proficiency bonus... Um, number of times per long rest, and that's a real bummer, especially at early levels. Um, later on, once your once your proficiency bonus gets up, it's kind of a wash, it's not a big deal, but, you know, f when your proficiency bonus is only at a two or a three, you might find yourself having to pick and choose when to actually activate your blade song, and that feels bad. Um, 
early on, especially when it's only twice per long rest, you're probably going to really have to choose, you know, when to activate it and go into melee and when to maybe play it safe and hold back. I mean, you can still be in melee without your blade song active. It's just your armor class is going to be a lot lower and your um, concentration save is going to be lower. And so it's just going to be tougher to both stay alive and also maintain concentration on your spells, which is such a huge, important source of the damage that we do as a blade singer. So that's a bummer. And you're gonna have to you're gonna have to think about that and sort of be smart about that. Um, there is good news, however, uh, changes with Tasha. So the good, especially the, the biggest the biggest one is the change to the Blade Singer's extra attack. So at level six, not level five like most martial classes, but at level six, Blade Singers do get the extra attack feature. And now. Um, that says that you can either make two attacks or make one weapon attack and make one cantrip, you know, cast a cantrip. Um, this, though, coupled with the changes to Booming Blade, we talked about them a little bit last time, we'll get into it later, um, are really what kind of kill Shadow Blade. Um, because now we've got cantrip options and we can't use Shadow Blade with a Booming Blade. But again, we'll get into it. Fear not, it's still an overall buff. Um, there are great new alternatives for our concentration spell uh, that we will talk about. And so overall, it's going to be um, a, a DPR, a damage per round increase. So I'm excited to get into it. Let's jump into the build. All right, first, um, an errata from my first video. Uh, first episode on the Blade Singer. Um, I know many of you have pointed out um, I, For whatever reason I was talking about rapier in the main hand short sword in the offhand Don't know why I had a little brain slip there. I am fully aware that um, Unless you took the dual wielder feet You cannot actually do two weapon fighting with a rapier in one hand and a short sword in the other They would both need to be light <clears throat> a rapier is not finesse. Yes light. No. Anyway, I know um, okay, so at level one, Bladesinger, um, the race is, as probably almost always will be going forward, uh, custom lineage, custom lineage option that's going to give you plus two to a stat um, and a free feat, among other things. It's so powerful. Um, but you're going to want to make your <clears throat> custom lineage elf or half-elf. Now, again, this is really just kind of a flavor roleplay aesthetic thing, but the feet, the free feet that we're going to be taking, Elven Accuracy, at level one re still requires that you be a, an elf or a half-elf. And so you can say, custom lineage, but I'm a half-elf or I'm an elf. Um, now, here's the great thing about, about the way that it describes custom lineage in Tasha's, right? It says that you are a humanoid, you determine your appearance, and whether you resemble any of your kin. So you are, that gives you a lot of room to play here, right? You could say that you're a half-elf, but you're half-elf, half-orc. And in fact, you seemed to inherit all of the genes of, of the orc parentage, right? So you kind of look more like an orc than anything, or a dwarf or a gnome, or kind of whatever you want. Um, and yes, maybe we're skirting the rules here, but I 
think Wizards of the Coast's intent is for us to be able to do things like this and play with and have more creativity and more variety and versatility in our, you know, racial options and customizations. So, you know, get creative with it and have fun. Um, one big drawback to the custom lineage uh, race is it does not come with any weapon proficiencies. Um, and wizards, by default, do not have proficiency with a rapier or a short sword or a scimitar. Um, so that changes things for us a little bit down the road, and I'll get into that in a minute, but just keep that in mind. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the free feat that we're going to take is Elven Accuracy. Uh, it gives you a plus one to, well, for us, Dexterity. And then, again, when you have advantage on an attack, um, instead of rolling two dice, you get to roll three, basically. And that's fantastic. Um, we, we're always going to be having advantage for at least one of our attacks. And so that's, that's important. And starting off with an 18 dexterity at level one feels amazing. So for ability scores, right, you're going to do, I always assume point buy. You're going you're gonna to buy 15 dex. You're going to take your plus two racial for that. So that would bump you to a 17. And then um, you're going to get plus one for elven accuracy. So you will start at 18, 18 dexterity. Um, that feels amazing. The problem is um, you're not going to be able to get to a 16 intelligence, right? Because you don't get any more bonuses anywhere um, unless you sacrificed in dexterity, which I don't want to do. So we're going to actually start with a 14 dexterity and a 15 constitution. I'll explain the 15 constitution in a minute. So those are our three um, most important stats. Starting with an 18 dex feels amazing. Starting with a 14 intelligence feels lousy. And you could finagle it to do like 16 and 16 if you wanted. Um, you know, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the dexterity. It's gonna give us a better plus to hit and plus to damage. Um, you know, we'd get some mileage out of the intelligence later. We, we'd get a bump to our armor class when we're blade singing, but we always have a bump to our armor class with dexterity, right? Um, intelligence gives you a bump to your, to your armor class when you're blade singing only. And, and we're not, at least especially at this level, early on, we're not, we're not needing a really high difficulty check on our spells or a spell plus to hit. We will in a little bit, but anyway, I think, you, I think you're just better off with dexterity. But if you want to go 16 and 16, uh, you can. Um, let's talk about class. A lot of you have made the suggestion or asked the question, what about starting fighter level one and then going bladesinger? And I know, I get it. It is very tempting to start as a fighter. More hit points, but more importantly, proficiency with all weapons, right? Which is huge, which is, it is very nice. Starting with a um, fighting style, is fantastic to be able to probably take the dueling fighting style and get a plus two attack um, to to your uh, sorry plus two damage when you're when you're attacking with just a single weapon in your hand or two weapon fighting, but we're going to be doing a little bit of both here, so you'd have to pick or choose. You you'd ideally want both, but you can only get one. But anyway, it'd be nice to have. Most importantly, proficiency with your Constitution saving throw that fighters get. And that's huge because 
um, we really want to maintain our concentration, and that benefits a lot by having a higher concentra- uh, constitution saving throw. So having proficiency there would be really nice, and all of those things to start at level one with would be fantastic. However, for me personally, um, it just it hurts so badly to not be able to, well, to always be a level behind um, for all of those important Bladesinger milestones, right? Starting with um, starting with proficiency in your constitution saves and, and fighting style and, and all of those things that fighters get uh, feel great. But getting to level six and still having to wait even one more level to get to get you know the second attack, especially when one of them is a cantrip, feels terrible. And having to wait another level to get those high level, higher level spells and more spell slots just it just hurts a lot um, for me. And so I would I would sacrifice that and just go all blade singer all the way, all wizard all the way. Um, if you got to take a, a level one fighter, go for it, knock yourself out. As far as equipment, um, you, you're going to want to do a gold buy. So that gives you 4d4 times 10 gold. Um, you roll those dice and cross your fingers. <laughs> you should have about 100 gold. And you're going to want to make sure you pick up leather armor. Um, and then either two short swords or two scimitars, if you can afford them. And if you like scimitars better, they're, it's, it's just flavor, right? Um, they do the same damage, d6. And they're both light and they're both finesse weapons. Um, but uh, make sure you save money for your spellbook, and you want some clothes and you know other necessities, but you should be able to afford all of those things at least. Um, as for spells that you get at first level, so for cantrips, make sure that you get Booming Blade or Green Flame Blade. It's less important at this level. In fact, well, anyway, get at least one of those, um, both if you can. And again, for those who don't know, Booming Blade as part of the spell, you make a weapon attack. Green Flame and Blade works the same way. You make a weapon attack, and it sheathes your target in um, energy, essentially, and then if they move after that, they will take damage. If they move willingly, they will take damage. Green Flame Blade is similar. You make a weapon attack, and then it does a little bit of extra fire damage to another enemy that's standing right next to them. Um, those scale, as all cantrips do, uh, with level and so so later on you're going to do extra damage on the hit itself and then even more damage if they move with booming blade right so that's going to be important to our build make sure that you have those um, and you know probably pick up like firebolt or toll the dead so you can do have a nice ranged cantrip for damage um, I love message it's great to be able to communicate with your friends telepathically but you know get get whatever else you need there make sure as first level spells you you pick up shield the shield spell which will let you when you get hit as a reaction um, cast this spell and it will add five to your armor class potent and and that lasts until the beginning of your turn your next turn increasing your armor class by five until then right um, so that's really great for our own uh, tankiness um, and absorb elements, another errata. Uh, I know that I have spoken about absorb elements in the past, um, wrong, wrongly. Uh, and the way that absorb elements works is that it basically 
when you cast it again as a reaction, it will let you be resistant to um, the da like acid, fire, lightning, cold, poison. I think damage, um, elemental damage, essentially. Uh, it will be resistant, so you so you'll take half damage on that uh, on that damage when when you get hit by it. Um, and then you get to add some additional damage, a d6 worth of that type of damage on your next attack. Um, very great, some nice little bonus damage, but more importantly, uh, increases your tankiness. So those are important spells for us to have at first level. Um, as far as, oh, the last spell that you gotta make sure you get at first level is uh, Find Familiar. So find familiar, you cast it as a ritual, and then you get a little pet. And they will follow you around, they'll take, um, take, take their own action on their own initiative, um, but they cannot make the attack action. You can see through their eyes, so you can use them to scout. I mean, familiars are just so incredibly useful, but for our purposes, the thing that we'll primarily be using them for is to give us advantage. So. Your familiar can take the help action. In case you don't know, when when somebody helps you in combat, then on the first attack that you make, um, you will have advantage. Uh, and so you're going to be using your familiar to give to take the help action in combat all the time, and give you advantage uh, on at least your first attack, thanks to their help. They're coming in and distracting them. I always recommend the owl. Uh, owls are great because they have the flyby feature, which means, and, well, and they can fly, but they can fly in, distract, take the help action, and fly away without taking an opportunity attack as they move. So they can generally stay pretty safe and then always be there for you to take that help action and give you advantage on your first attack every turn. So that's level one. At level two, you get an arcane tradition. And you are taking the Bladesinger, and from now on, you are not a typical wizard. And don't let anyone tell you differently. Um, quote, Many who observe, have observed a Bladesinger at work remember the display as one of the more beautiful experiences in their life. A glorious dance accompanied by a singing blade. You have um, light armor proficiency, so you can put on your armor now, your leather armor that you've been carrying around, and proficiency in one weapon of your choice. And herein is our problem. Um, we're not always going to be two-weapon fighting. Uh, I'd say maybe half of the time, maybe even less than half of the time, are we going to be two-weapon fighting. And the other half, especially once we hit level 9, um, you know, we'd love to have a rapier in our main hand for that teeny bit of extra damage, but really the difference between a d6 for a short sword or a scimitar and a d8 for a rapier <clears throat> is one on average, right? Um, and that's just not worth spending, in my opinion, an entire feat, you know, uh, to, in order to pick up um, dual two-weapon fighting, dual-wielding, dual-wielding fighting, <laughs> whatever that feat's called that lets you use non-light weapons, right? Um, so, or for that matter, even it's not even worth taking a level one fighter, for me, personally. Um, so pick, pick a light weapon here, short swords or scimitars, 
and just commit to it all game. Um, it's okay, you know, most of your damage is not going to be coming from the weapon itself. Uh, so, um, when you invoke your blade song, of which you get two a day right now, because your proficiency bonus is only a plus two, but that will scale. But when you invoke your blade song, you have supernatural speed, agility, and focus. It lasts for one minute. It gives you a bump to your armor class based on your intelligence modifier. So it hurts a little bit to only have a plus two. Um, you get 10 more feet of movement speed. You have advantage on acrobatics checks. And then you, importantly, get a bump to your concentration saving throws. Your, your spells to maintain, con your saving throw to maintain concentration. Uh, based on your intelligence modifier. So again, just a plus two. Um, so from here on, you are no longer standing in the back line throwing firebolts. You are wading into battle, singing, flying, and dealing death. Um, unless you're out of bladesong uses, then maybe stay back and throw firebolts. You know what? You can still get into battle and do cool stuff. It's just you're going to be squishier. You're going to have a harder time maintaining concentration. Um, it's not a huge difference, so depending on what you're fighting, you know, consider that depending on how low you are in health. But, uh, yeah, just keep that in mind and maybe be wise, be prudent. Um, level three. So you get level two spells now. I'm going to recommend you take uh, a couple. Misty Step is fantastic and fun, um, and it lets you teleport around the battlefield um, as a bonus action, I believe. Um, 30 feet to a place you can see and that's just great to have that extra mobility and a lot of fun to use. Um, Shadow Blade uh, we're going to take as well. Very important spell. So yes, we're still going to be using Shadow Blade for our concentration here. Um, it's not completely dead. Uh, for those who don't know, Shadow Blade, you summon a, 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 an illusory magical blade, essentially. It counts as both a light and a finesse weapon, so you can use your dexterity, and you can even do two-weapon fighting with it if you have a short sword in your offhand. Um, and it's just fantastic. It does, at this level, it does 2d8 of damage, you know, using your dex bonus for plus to hit and plus to damage, and that's way better than any other weapon that anyone else in your par party probably has at third level, right? Um, so it's cool, it's fun, it's a lightsaber, and yes, I have crunched the numbers for Shadow Blade versus other concentration spells like Flaming Spear, for example, and Shadow Blade still comes out on top, um, especially because you get to use your bonus action still for, for an offhand attack. Um, especially if you're in dim light, I didn't mention. If you're fighting in dim light or darkness, you have advantage on all of the attacks that you make with Shadow Blade, and that's big, because Dungeons and Dragons can sometimes be a little bit gloomy when it comes to our combat, right? In dungeons and fighting at night and things like that. So, Shadow Blade, way to go. Uh, it's super cool. Oh, don't forget also when you can get it to pick up a Mirror Image as a spell. <clears throat> This is going to help your defense tremendously, and basically you cast it um, as an action, and it creates three duplicates of yourself, and going forward then, when a creature makes a, an attack on you, you roll a die and it potentially attacks one of your images instead of you, and if it hits it, 
No matter how much damage it does, it just poof, disappears and now you have two mirror images left and continue until you are all out of mirror images. Um, this coupled with shield and absorb elements and your high armor class um, make you really hard to hit and um, it's a lot of fun to be in there doing tons of damage as a typically squishy wizard um, and being really hard to hit and really hard to kill even at this level and so what what your combat's going to look like for me and, I, and I've played a couple of blade singers actually now and and love them and they're a lot of fun but generally when combat starts I will bonus action start singing my blade song um, and then as an action if I have the spell slots uh, cast mirror image and then so it's a round of setup on round two summon your shadow blade with a bonus action it's a bonus action to cast and then make your attack um, and so anyway you that way you 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 go into battle ready and defensive right if you summon your shadow blade right off the bat and start swinging and then wait to maybe do blade song next round you might get hit and take damage and lose your concentration and now you just wasted your your spell slot on the shadow blade and you got to start over so anyway at level four you get a feat or an ability score increase and <clears throat> previously i recommended taking warcaster at level four i'm going to change that or recommend that that you change that warcaster is great um, it lets you cast a spell when you have a weapon in both hands, a spell that has somatic components, and otherwise you would need at least one free hand, right? Um, it lets you take a cast a cantrip on an opportunity attack, um, which is great, but less great than it used to be for us, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, and it lets you, most importantly, have advantage on concentration saves. That was the main reason why we took Warcaster. Um, having that advantage on your on your concentration saves because you're always going to be concentrating on a spell and you don't want to lose that, right? Um, so here's the thing. In a few more levels, we're, we're not going to be dual wielding anymore. Uh, we're going to be single wielding. And, and so that, you know, ability to um, cast a spell when you have two weapons in your hand becomes kind of moot for us in a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, um, if we don't have Warcaster, I'm thinking you could probably drop your um, drop your offhand short sword if you need to, you know, cast um, shield in a pinch. Talk that over with your dungeon master. Make sure that that's okay with them. Um, but you know, you could always drop a weapon to cast a spell. Should be allowable as a free action, um, and then just pick it up later. But um, most importantly, Shadow Blade and Booming Blade no longer work together rules as written as we discussed in the episode last week um, booming blade and green flame blade now have a material component that is the weapon that you use to cast the spell essentially and making the attack and that weapon has to be worth at least one silver piece and um, as an illusory blade of magic shadow blade does not qualify rules as written despite jeremy crawford's tweet that he would allow it at his table Right, um, and so casting a cantrip on an opportunity attack is not as cool as it used to be. Um, you could just, you, you could, if you have Shadowblade summoned and you get an opportunity attack, you could just hit him with Shadowblade. And that's gonna do, at this level, more damage than hitting them with Booming Blade. Well, depending on if you get the bonus damage if they move. Anyway, comparable damage 
to hitting them with a short sword, right? Um, in fact, it is better damage at this level until you hit five. Anyway, um, so you still can make opportunity attacks with a Shadow Blade summoned. So we're not really losing much there now, thanks to the change to Booming Blade, Shadow Blade. Um, and, you know, admittedly, in, in my own games anyway, speaking personally, I don't get a ton of opportunity attacks, right? They happen once in a while, but generally my dungeon masters are not real excited about giving me free attacks on their monsters, and so usually the monsters won't run away from me and take an opportunity attack unless they've got a really good reason to do so. It just doesn't happen a ton. Um, so that leaves us with advantage on concentration checks. Admittedly, um, that's, that's huge and really important for us, but what I would recommend taking instead to make up for that is, at this level, uh, resilient constitution feat. So what that does is a couple of things. One, it will bump our constitution by one. And as you recall, we started with a 15 constitution, so now we're 16, giving us a plus three bonus, and that feels fabulous. Um, it's going to be more hit points. It's going to be a bump to our uh, concentration, well, our constitution, and therefore concentration saves. Um, and it lets you add your proficiency bonus to your concentration saves now. So, you know, it doesn't feel as bad not taking that first level in fighter, and now we get to add our proficiency bonus. What's better, having your proficiency bonus or having advantage on your constitution concentration saves? If you crunch the numbers, they're, they're a wash, really. Um, and so, but, but uh, adding your proficiency bonus gets better as your proficiency goes up. So I think long-term, your, your ability to maintain con concentration is better by taking resilient constitution than it is taking Warcaster. Um, now, obviously if you started Fighter, go with Warcaster. Or if you really just want, you know, the other benefits that you get from Warcaster, go for it. But for my money, I'm taking, um, I'm taking Resilient Constitution. You know, if you're blade singing uh, and you get hit with an attack and you need to make a concentration check, you're getting a plus three from our constitution, because it's 16. You're getting plus two from intelligence, because that's the blade singing bonus, right? Um, and then plus two at this level from our proficiency bonus. So that's a plus seven to our concentration saves. Usually, you know, monsters at this level are hitting you, and in order to maintain concentration, you have to do, you know, you have to make a check the greater of half the damage or 10, right? So usually it's just going to be 10 for us at this level. And if you have a plus seven, just don't roll a one or a two, and you'll maintain concentration. You've got a 90% chance to keep your concentration. So I love it. If you want to take Warcaster, go for it. At level five, you get third level spells. And we get Summon Fey. Okay, I mentioned last week that the, the, the new summon spells in Tasha's are fantastic, and they are. They are so, so good. They, they're great damage and even, uh, depending on what you're summoning, great utility. Um, the one that we're going to focus on is Summon Fey because it's, it's, it has the edge in damage versus the other summon spells. Take a look at the other ones. If there's something else that just really speaks to you because of the flavor or the utility that it brings, go for it. Um, and, and the damage is going to be almost as good, right? 
Summon Faye gets a little edge, and who doesn't want Tinkerbell following him into battle? Um, so great, it's it's almost worth giving up our lightsaber. So, okay, Summon Faye, that's amazing. Um, it requires concentration. It's a very expensive spell, material component-wise. Um, you need a gilded flower that's worth 300 gold that I'm guessing you're gonna have to have some sort of artisan craft for you in town somewhere. That's not easy to come by at this level. You might need to take out a loan or something. Um, so I'm assuming that you can actually get that. Um, it's not consumed, so that's nice, uh, but, you, but you do need to have it in order to cast the spell. Um, it summons a fey creature that obeys your verbal commands and does not require your action or your bonus action for it to make attacks on your behalf every single turn. Um, it takes its turn right after you, and it gets, for now, it gets to make one weapon attack. That'll scale. Uh, and it hits really hard. It's a, it's, a, it's a short sword attack. It's a d6 plus three plus the spell level, which is three for now, so, uh, plus another d6 in force damage. So two d6 plus six total damage on a single uh, attack that the Fey is making. They are summoned for an hour, as long as you maintain concentration, so potentially will still be there, there over multiple combat encounters, and you don't have to burn another spell slot. That's amazing. Um, also, when you when you do upcast this, it they, they get to make a multi-attack equivalent to a number of attacks equivalent to the spell level halved. So when you cast it at a fourth level spell, they get to make two weapon attacks, right? Um, at level six, it's three. Um, it's really strong. It scales really well. And my favorite part of this spell, actually, is when you summon them, you get to choose the phase mood. It's either fuming, mirthful, or tricksy. This just, this is so great for roleplay and storytelling. Um, and then as a bonus action going forward, they get to teleport 30 feet and then do something based on their mood. It's so cute, I could die. Mirthful uh, mood can try and charm the enemy, awesome control. Trixie mood can fill a five foot cube with magical darkness, which can have some great utility. Or what I'm always going to be assuming, just for number crunching sake, is fuming, which gives them advantage on their first attack roll this turn. Um, so now you have a cute, fuming Tinkerbell that's flying into battle and just screaming expletives in, uh, in, in Fey at the top of her cute little voice, and I could die. It's the best thing ever. Um, the bummer is they use your spell attack modifier to hit. So right now that's just your proficiency bonus plus intelligence of two. So they're only a plus five to hit. That's a bummer, and it's not going to go up for a little while. Um, but still, when you crunch the numbers, this is better than Shadowblade at this level when you're only getting one attack. So so long, lightsaber at level five. You will be missed. Um, yeah, so that's Summon Fey. At, uh, of course, other third level spells pick up. I mean, get Fireball, right? It's great to, to have it, and I, I love to throw it out there at the beginning of combat if the enemies are all grouped up, soften them up, and then go in there and finish them off with my weapons. But anyway, level six, you get an extra attack. And as we mentioned, as a Bladesinger, that can be either two weapon attacks or 
one weapon attack, and a cantrip. Um, now, as we've we've talked about the the booming blade change, right? So you can't use shadow blade and and cast booming blade with your shadow blade um, because the spell has a material component, um, like like we've discussed. So at this level only, at a, at a third level spell, if you are in dim light or darkness, you actually are better off still using Shadow Blade for your concentration, casting it, upcasting it at a third level, so now it does 3d8 per attack, and foregoing the, the cantrip and just making two weapon attacks, um, and then, you know, an offhand short sword attack. Uh, that's going to be your best sustainable DPR, um, damage per round. If you're in bright light, um, you, you're instead going to want to go summon Fae um, and use that for your concentration. And then as your action, you make one short sword attack and then cast the booming blade or green flame blade cantrip. Um, giving you a second attack plus a 1d8 because... We are at level six now, and, and at level five, Booming Blade got a bump and Green Flame Blade, so now they do an extra 1d8 on a hit, and then for Booming Blade, 2d8 if they move, um, right? So you're getting some nice extra damage. So you're, so you're Booming Blade for one, regular attack for another, um, offhand short sword attack for your bonus action, and then of course, verbally commanding your Fey to attack your target as well. Um, make sure that you are using your, um, your familiar that you have, your owl or whatever it may be, to, to take the help action for you and cast Booming Blade first because, because the familiar is giving advantage on the first attack. And it doesn't say in the rules that you have to make a weapon attack first and then cast a cantrip. It just says one of your attacks can be a cantrip. So Booming Blade first, because it's most important for you to have advantage on that one, that's where more damage is going to come from, obviously. So Booming Blade first, get that extra damage, make a weapon attack, make an offhand attack, and then your fuming, fiery Fey is going to come in and uh, do some damage as well. They will, if they are fuming, they will get advantage on their attack as well, um, which is great and important. And uh, yeah, so you're doing really good damage here at six. Now, question, what about other cantrips? Does it have to be Booming Blade or Green Flame Blade? No, it doesn't have to be. Um, there are some great options to consider. Are they sensitive to fire damage? Great, throw out a Firebolt. Um, do you need to slow them down? Shoot Ray of Frost. Um, multiple targets standing next to each other? Go ahead and Acid Splash. Told the Dead is gonna be your best, your go-to for um, single target damage, unless they're resistant to necrotic damage. Uh, or have a really high, you know, plus to save on their wisdom score, which not a lot of monsters do. Um, so, so yeah, you know, do do you use Toll the Dead instead? You know, if you're using Shadow Blade in Dim Light, no, you're making two weapon attacks. Um, if you're in Bright Light using Summon Fey, maybe. Um, you know, you just have to ask yourself, what's the likelihood of you making that weapon attack? Uh, landing that weapon attack versus them resisting um, your spell damage, right? Making their making their wisdom save against all the dead. Uh, you know, the, the the booming blade weapon attack is going to do a d6 for the sword, a d8 for the booming blade, 
um, plus your dex of plus four. Um, on average, that's 12. And Toll the Dead is 2d12 if they fail. So that's on average 13, difference of one, right? So just, just know the situation. I love the idea, love the idea of going in, weapon, firebolt, you know, another weapon attack, Fey coming in, Owl swooping in. It's just, it feels really cool. And it feels like a real gish, you know, build, actually making weapon attacks and casting spells in the same turn. But um, depending on their armor class and their, you know, resistance to your spells, uh, you're going to be booming blading um, as often as anything, maybe more often particularly after level 14 when you get to add your intelligence modifier to the damage you're doing on a weapon attack. Um, but just know your options and know your enemies and, uh, you know, make your decision accordingly. For ease of, of number crunching, I'm just assuming that we're casting Booming Blade every time um, because it's easier to quantify against enemy armor class and that's what we always do anyway. So speaking of damage, damage report. Gosh, we just got to our first damage report. I told you this episode was going to be long. Um... Assuming, now, for, for these numbers at level 6, I'm assuming that you are in dim light or darkness, which you, which happens a lot in D&D, at least in my campaigns it does. Um, so I don't think that's asking too much to make that assumption. But I'm assuming we're in dim light or darkness, and I'm using Shadow Blade. It's the only time we're going to be using Shadow Blade uh, for damage report uh, here. So, um, again, if you're bright light, you'll be doing it differently, and the damage will be slightly less. Summoning Fey and bright light and making weapon attacks... Booming Blade, um, it's going to be about 5 to 10 less. But, assuming Shadow Blade against an enemy with a 10 armor class, on average, you'll be doing 43 damage per round. And against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it's only a 41. Um, it is a little better than Bladesinger 1.0, primarily because of, uh, you know, starting with an 18 dexterity, and Elven Accuracy uh, that early, like we got to do. So anyway, numbers are looking good, and they're going to get a whole lot better. Level 7. Um, so you have level 4 spells, and, you know, knock yourself out for the most part. Polymorph, always a great go-to. There's other good ones, but um, keep in mind that your concentration now should be reserved at this level for summon Fey, upcast to the fourth level. Um, and I, I'm going to put in the, in the video description, in the show notes, a, a little cheat sheet for um, what spell to use your concentration for based on the spell level. Okay, So feel free to consult that if you would like. But here, uh, for level four spells, we're, we're doing summon Fey because, as I mentioned, now they get two weapon attacks, making it that much stronger. Um, and it's really great, right? Now, and, and that's even in Dim Light and Darkness, by the way. Uh, it's still better. So, um, again, don't forget to give yourself advantage uh, on that first attack with your familiar that you're making and let your Fey do its work. At level 8, uh, you get an ability score increase or feat, and we are going to cap our dexterity. So take a bump to your dex. Now you're at 20. Congratulations. That feels fantastic to be there by level 8 already. At level 9, we get level 5 spells. I talked about animate objects a little bit in my Bladesinger 1.0 um, episode. Not as much as I should have, frankly. 
Um, it's our new go-to concentration spell and, and actually is going to be probably for the rest of your character's career. Um, you So how the spell works requires your concentration and you animate a number of objects ranging in size from tiny to huge. But the smaller they are, the more you get. And so we're always going to go with tiny. Okay. So you start at level at a level five spell. You get ten tiny objects. Um, I like to carry a bag of silver coins in a in a separate pouch, and then as a free action, throw them out there and then animate them. Right. Um, it's an action to do, and then as a bonus action on that turn and going forward, um, you can make weapon attacks with them. They fly. Um, and you get more of them for every level that you upcast. You get two more for every spell level that you upcast it, which is, which is amazing, and why we're going to just continue using it for the highest level spell slot that we have available to us, depending, of course, on the situation that you're in and how badly you may need a different spell at the time. Um, I like to make them silver coins, in case you're fighting something that's resistant to non-silvered attacks. Um, and, uh, and they do, so they do, each one um, is a plus eight to hit, which is quite good. And they each do a D4 of damage plus four. So if every single one of them hits, which they won't, um, that's 65 damage on average, which is a lot um, for a bonus action, right? Um, because you also get to make your two weapon attacks on your on your subsequent turns, one of which with Booming Blade, right? Or cast a different cantrip if you want. Um, you you don't get to make an offhand attack any longer, right? Because you're using your bonus action to command your animated objects. Um, so it's just one, two with the weapons, and go get them magic coins. It's so fun, uh, and it's so chaotic. Now, there are some drawbacks to animate objects. First of all, I think the biggest one, these are not, as per Mike Merle's co-creator of D&D 5e, these, these are not magical attacks. Even though you're animating them with a magical spell, they just deal bludgeoning damage. Um, and so if you're fighting something that is resistant to non-magical weapon attacks, you don't want to use this spell, basically. Um, now, that said, there are fewer monsters in D&D 5e than you may realize, unless, you're, unless your DM is metagaming you, um, that are resistant to non-magical weapon attacks. Ancient Red Dragon, not resistant to non-magical weapon attacks, right? There, there, there are some out there, of course, but not as many as you might think. Um, so don't be afraid to use this liberally. Um, another potential drawback, obviously, is that they, they are susceptible to being wiped out. Um, if there's an enemy spellcaster and they've got a fireball and all of your coins are in the same place, right, um, they could get hit by a fireball and die. They're, they're pretty tanky. Um, they, have, they, have a, they have 20 hit points, uh, an 18 armor class, and an 18 dexterity, so plus 4 to their dex saves if they need to make a save against a fireball. Um, I mean, it could happen. They could get wiped out, but just be aware. In my personal experience with this spell, I'm using it pretty much every time I have the spell slots, and it's incredibly powerful. Um, also, one note about using this spell, and anytime you're, you're summoning large numbers of creatures, right, that each get to make a spell attack, 
Um, please, for the sake of your dungeon master and your companions, don't make 10 separate attack rolls for 10 different items unless your dungeon master insists on doing it that way. Talk it over with them, but you know, we like, at my table, we will just divide it in half. And these five make make an attack, boom, they all hit or they all miss. These five make an attack, boom, they all hit or they all, all miss. Um, it hurts really bad when they all miss, but um, you know, nothing will make you hated at your table more than slowing combat down to a crawl with 10 animated object attacks and then your own two on top of that it's just no it's terrible so anyway figure that out and uh and handle it but animate objects is fun and really powerful so damage report at level nine assuming you're using animated objects and then making two weapon attacks one with one with the booming blade cantrip um and of course or green flame blade right especially if they have somebody standing right next to them that's guaranteed damage uh guaranteed extra damage based on your it's either your spell casting modifier or your proficiency bonus i need to remind myself of that um but anyway if they're going to move and you know that they're going to move somehow then go for booming blade regardless um your average damage versus an enemy with a 10 armor class is 85 DPR at level 9. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it's a 64. Putting this build ahead of every other sustained damage build that uh, I've ever looked at at this level, uh, including the Hexblade Warlock, including the Barbarian Fighter mix with a Rune Knight, even pre-nerf to Rune Knight that came out with Tasha's, more damage even than the Death Cleric who I was, who was getting damage against multiple targets in a round. Okay, really powerful. Level ten, you get a Blade Singer feature called Song of Defense. Uh, it's great. Basically, um, it lets you use a spell slot as a reaction to reduce damage done to you if you get hit by an enemy. Um, it, the, the damage you reduce is five times the spell level. So, um, obviously, if you can cast the shield spell as a reaction instead and make them miss completely, do that. But if they rolled so high that shield spell isn't going to help you and you really need to reduce the damage otherwise, this is, this is great to, to have uh, as an option. At level 11, you get sixth level spells. We're going to talk about Tensor's Transformation. So this spell is so fun and so on point with this character, right? Um, requires your concentration. And for 10 minutes after you cast it, or until you lose concentration, you can't cast other spells, but you undergo a transformation that makes you even more powerful in uh, your martial abilities. Um, so you can't cast other spells, including Booming Blade, so no more using Booming Blade um, right on your attacks while you've got Tensors active, but you do get 50 temporary hit points, which is almost double your hit points at this level. Um, advantage on all of your attack rolls, weapon attacks, amazing, and again, because you have Elven Accuracy, you get to roll 3d20, you have triple advantage. Um, and all of your weapon attacks that hit do an extra 2d12 of damage. Um, that's fantastic and super cool. And as awesome as all of that is, um, you're still better off using animated objects uh, against low armor class enemies. 
Um, up until about an, an enemy AC of 15, you're going to want to use animate objects. Um, of course, if they're resistant to non-magical weapon attacks, and you have a magical weapon, right, um, then still stick with tensors regardless of the AC. Um, if you don't have a magical weapon, and they're resistant to magical weapon attacks, you're actually going back to Shadowblade. Um, now, big potential drawback with tensors is when it ends, and it might be in the middle of combat if you lose concentration, um, you have to make a DC 15 constitution saving throw or suffer, suffer one level of exhaustion. Um, that doesn't hurt that bad when you just have one level of exhaustion. It's just um, disadvantage on all of your ability checks and that, you know, your exhaustion levels last until you finish a long rest. So that's not the end of the world. If you get two, though, um, your movement speed is halved, and that hurts, and from there it gets much worse. So avoid two levels of exhaustion and beyond at all cost. Um, but uh, this is another good reason why Resilient Constitution was better than Warcaster, in my opinion, because you're making a constitu constitution saving throw here, not a concentration check, and Warcaster just gave you advantage on your concentration checks, not your constitution saves, right? Uh, concentration versus Constitution, yeah. So, anyway, um, that's a fun spell, super cool, um, has some great use, especially if you have a magic weapon. Um, at level 12, you get another ability score, increase, or feat, and we finally get to put points into intelligence. Um, so now our intelligence is a 16, and that's going to bump your armor class, thanks to Bladesinger, your concentration saves, thanks to Bladesinger, um, your spell hit and difficulty check, obviously. Um, and in a little bit, it's going to actually increase your weapon damage. So, you know, I never talk about magic items. I, I can't assume that you're going to have magic items, or at least which magic items you will have access to. But I kind of feel like for this build, um, maybe the best magic item you could get would be a headband of intellect, uh, especially if you could get it early and save yourself from putting points into intelligence and put them somewhere else or pick up a different feat. Um, it, it lets you, it bumps your intelligence to 19 and um, we're not going to get there until level 16, right? We're not going to get that bonus, uh, that level of bonus until level 16, so almost the end of the game. If you can find a headband of intellect or get one talk your dungeon master out of one, get one early, that would be amazing for this guy or girl. At level 13, um, you have level 7 spells. And um, I'll just mention that as amazing as Tensor's Transformation is, it does not scale, right? It just it just is what it is. Uh, and Animate Objects, since our last, since our last damage report, has four more animated, tiny animated objects doing lots more damage for you. So at this point, uh, you know, you're better off with animated objects regardless of the enemy armor class, unless they're resistant to non-magical weapon attacks and you have a magical weapon, uh, preferably two, so your, so your offhand will do damage too, uh, or they won't resist the damage from your offhand. Um, if you don't have a magical weapon, by the way, and they're resistant to magical weapon attacks, you're actually going back to Shadowblade. Um, but by level 13, who doesn't have at least a plus one short sword, right? Make sure you have a magical weapon by level 13. So damage report, 
at level 13, assuming um, you're using animated objects, summoning 14 tiny animated creatures, or animating 14 tiny creatures, and then making two weapon attacks, one with booming blade, versus a 10 armor class, you're doing 115 damage per round on average, and versus a 17 armor class, you're doing 81 damage per round. Now, quick note, you know, is this damage sustainable? I'm always talking about sustainable damage. Uh, not really, because, you know, I'm always assuming that you're using your highest level spell slot to upcast your spells and things like that. And, of course, you know, you only get one per long rest, one seventh level spell at this level per long rest, right? You have one sixth, one seventh, one eighth, one ninth. Um, so later on, yeah, keeping up this level of damage or close to is, is pretty sustainable. Um, but you can always fall back to a lower level spell slot and still do really great damage. Um, if, you know, you need to and you're out of those higher level uh, spell slots, animate objects, you can cast at fifth level and, and it's still going to be really good and pretty sustainable, uh, you know, from this point on. At level 14 you get a Bladesinger feature called Song of Victory. And from now on, you get to add your intelligence modifier to the damage that you do with weapon attacks. Awesome. And I'm glad that at least it's a plus three by this level. Um, that, that will work for Tensor's Transformation too. Don't forget to use it. Um, at level 15, you get level eight spells, but our concentration is gonna be used for Basically the same thing, at least when we're crunching numbers, animate objects, upcast, unless they're resistant to non-magical attacks, etc., etc. Um, but of course, use that 8th level spell slot for something else that's more world-changing and amazing and important, as the case may arise. Um, at level 16, we get another ability score increase, and we're going to bump our intelligence again, so now we're at 18 intelligence. That feels more respectable for a wizard. <laughs> and uh, then at level 17, we get ninth level spells. So, I mean, on the one hand, you have Wish. So it feels a little silly to talk about anything else, but we need to talk about the new spell from Tasha's uh, Cauldron of Everything, the Blade of Disaster, which sounds really cool. So the way Blade of Disaster works requires a concentration. You summon a three-foot-long planar rift blade, and you can make two melee spell attacks. So again, this is going to use your intelligence modifier, not your dexterity, but uh, two melee spell attacks with it on a target within 60 feet. They don't even have to be in melee range. They can be up to 60 feet away. Um, and each hit does 4d12 plus nothing, 4d12 damage. Not amazing unless you consider that they crit, that these attacks will crit on an 18, a roll of 18 or better, so not just a 20. So that's a 15% chance to crit, right? Um, and if you crit, it does triple damage. It does eight, an extra 8d12 instead of an extra 4d12, right? So for a total of 12d12 each hit. Now, those and those two attacks are made as a bonus action going forward, which is fabulous. 
Um, so freeing you up to still make your weapon attacks, um, you know, using Booming Blade for one of them. And by the way, Booming Blade got a bump here, final bump to 3d8 on a hit, plus an extra 4d8 if they move. Um, so even with all of that said, you actually don't necessarily want to use um, Blade of Disaster for sustained damage every time only if the enemies have an armor class of 15 or better. Now granted at level 17 just about everything you're fighting is probably going to have an armor class of 15 or better but just keep that in mind. Below 15 uh, animate objects is actually still going to be your go-to upcast um, unless they're resistant to magical uh, non-magical weapon attacks. Um, now definitely make sure that you're saving your familiar uh, in the help action for for one of these um, if you're using blade of disaster for one of these uh, attacks because because when it crits on an 18 or better and does triple damage you definitely want the advantage on one of those attacks right um, you're gonna be critting a lot if you can get advantage and frankly you know if if you <coughs> can find a way to get advantage on both attacks, do so at almost all costs. If there's somebody else in your party that has a familiar that can help on the second attack or, you know, cast fairy fire or, or whatever, um, really, really strong. Because again, remember, with Elven, Ac Elven Accuracy applies here. Elven Accuracy states that when you're making an attack with Dexterity, Wisdom, Intelligence, or Charisma, then you get to roll that extra d20 and have that triple advantage. And you're using intelligence because it's a spell melee spell attack for you, so it qualifies for elven accuracy. Um, you're going to be critting a lot with this, and it will feel really cool when you do. Um, damage report at level 17. Against an enemy armor class of 10, which I'm assuming you're using animate objects for, by the way, um, you're doing 153 damage per round. Um, and at an enemy armor class of 18, you're still over 100. You're still at, you're at 115. And at that point you've switched, right, to Blade of Disaster. So you're amazing. Um, final thoughts. For my money, the strongest subclass in all of D&D 5e thus far. Um, top tier damage with all of the bells and whistles and bag of tricks that come from playing a wizard all the control, all of the AOE, area of effect, damage, uh, all of the ability, and wish. Um, what more could you ask for? I don't know. You're, you're, you're tanky, you're hard to hit, you're mobile, you're, you're all over the battlefield, and it's just, it's, it's so much fun to play. So, so speaking of, okay, yes, your sustained DPR is amazing, but don't forget to be... A, a regular wizard, you know, when the situation calls for it. Those those high-level spells, of course, are amazing and fantastic and powerful. Um, so, you know, when you need it, throw up that wall of force, right? Uh, fireball the group of hobgoblins. Um, misty step over to, a, to a, an ally that's gone unconscious, and then on your next turn you can bring them back from the brink of death with life transference. Um, yes, you do a ton of damage, but that's not what makes this class so amazing and so fun. What makes it so amazing and so fun is that you do a ton of sustainable damage 
while throwing out and being able to throw out all of those awesome, fun, versatile, powerful spells when you need it. So, you know, you, you have all these spell slots and there's a reason why I tried to create this uh, in a sustainable way where you're only hopefully using one spell slot per encounter. You've got all those other spell slots. Well, maybe you're using others for defense, right? Shield and things like that. You've got all those other spell slots. Use them when you need them and you're gonna have a blast doing so. You are the jack of all trades and master of most. So, have fun. Um, one thing, make sure that you figure out what your blade song is and you better damn well sing it in character, in game, when you activate your blade song. For me, mine personally is um, a song called, I believe it's pronounced Ebude by Enya. See along the bottom, I'll, I'll, I'll put, I can't, I can't play it for copyright reasons, but check it out, Google Ebude by Enya. It's got a nice martial cadence to it. I love it, it feels very Celtic. Um, find a blade song, sing it in game, and have so much fun with it, you guys. That is our episode for the week. Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. As always, find us on Twitter, on Facebook. Email me at dndoptimized at gmail.com. Like us, review us, subscribe, review, share, all of the things. Um, and yeah, comment. And if you, especially if you have a build that you would like me to do an episode on, give me as much detail and information about the build and the role and, and you know the specifics of it as much as you can. And I will do my best to optimize it for you. Thanks, everyone. Have a fantastic day. Love you guys. And we'll see you next time.